You are listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland, 91.1 and 107.1, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. So welcome back. This is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I'll be your host for the next hour, Hannah. And in celebration of International Women's Day, X-Ray's hosting 12 hours of women-focused programming, trying to amplify voices and providing an intersectional education on a diverse range of issues impacting people in the Portland area and beyond. So between now and 7 p.m., you'll be hearing some of Portland's most impactful community leaders, educators, activists, artists, and professionals tell their stories to educate, empower, and inspire to change. So we'll hope you'll tune in all day. As part of today's programming, I'll be talking with Beth, Allie, and Margot. So I wanna give a chance for introductions. We have Beth, who is a board member with the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. Hi, Beth. Hi, Hannah. We have Allie, who is with the Cascades Abortion Support Collective as a collective member. Hi, Allie. Hi. And also Margot, who is also with the Cascades Abortion Support Collective collective member. Hi, Margot. Hi, happy to be here. And Beth, do you wanna give us a little snippet about the, what the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is? Sure, yeah, so the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is an abortion fund um, serving Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. Um, we're a, basically a group of trained and compassionate volunteer advocates, board members, and staff who run a toll-free hotline. Um, it's more or less a warm line, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we'll always be uh, available the same day. Um, we help people pay for their abortion care by sending funds directly to the clinic. We also help people get to and from the clinic, whether that be by volunteer, lift, airplane, if it's, you know, if they have to travel for their procedure. Um, and we, we make sure that people traveling for care have a safe place to stay. Awesome. And abortion funds. So you're an independent nonprofit. You're not really um, connected with any clinic or government. Sounds like you're just a, um, a fund that has popped up to serve folks. Um, what, what makes you have a the fund a unique role in this movement? Um, so abortion funds kind of take this on this role of filling in the gaps where the Hyde Amendment lacks. Um, the Hyde Amendment is basically a piece of legislation that passed in the 70s to ban um, funding of abortion through Medicaid. Um, so what we do is we people call our hotline and we find out when their appointment is, um, you know, other like relevant details. And we help make sure that we can send money to the clinic in which they're um, accessing uh, healthcare. And Allie and Margo, you are with Cascades Abortion Support Collective. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization and who you serve and what you do? Yeah, so Cascades Abortion Support Collective um, is our name, and we are an organization based in Portland, um, and we provide emotional, informational, and logistical support to those seeking abortion and other reproductive health care in Oregon. 
Um, some of our support options include rides to and from appointments, uh, safe lodging and meal support um, during the duration of one's abortion um, appointment. Our philosophy around abortion support prioritizes ease of access to the folks seeking an abortion and abortion resources and is informed and led by their personal needs, values, and boundaries. Um, we have a, we've trained and vetted a group of about 40 ride and homestay volunteers who support in these efforts. And without these people, this work really could not exist. Um, and in addition to specializing in logistical support, um, CASC also engages in shaping the reproductive justice landscape of Portland by engaging in mutual aid and direct action in the spirit of collective liberation. So one thing, so with Northwest Abortion Access Funds and Cascades Abortion Support Collective, I noticed you both have abortion specifically in the title of the work that you do, but abortion access is really just a part of this larger reproductive justice movement. So can you tell me a little bit about how your work of directly supporting people who are having abortions kind of ties into this larger framework? For sure. Um, so <laughs> the right to choose to have an abortion and even the ability to get your abortion funded and paid for um, still leaves out a lot of the logistics around accessing this type of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those um, logistics are directly impacted by um, someone's material conditions. And so this is really where we can look at, um, at racism and um, poverty and um, transphobia and, um, and just the difficulties of living as, of living as an immigrant. Um, there's just a lot of pieces uh, related to social justice that directly affect the material conditions of someone looking to access an abortion. That's really going to influence their ability to not just um, have that procedure, but also to have that done um, smoothly and with support. So, um, and we're also able, when we think like this, we're also able to broaden our understanding of reproductive justice and know that it's not just about abortion um, and uh, different forms of oppression um, are, are always going to affect the choices that people have and, that, and then that they make. Yeah, so it's, um, I'm hearing you say, you know, there's this experience of uh, individual and they find out they're pregnant and they don't want to be pregnant anymore. But really all of the um, decisions from that point and how they interact with healthcare, are they able to pay for it? Um, are their providers speaking the same language as them? Um, do they have a place for their children to stay? Do they have a ride? Like all of a sudden you're getting down into the logistics and all of the barriers that might be there. Um, for someone who's making this decision. Right, like rights are all well and good, but don't provide much or anything without uh, access, without taking into consideration the nuances and the um, identities that people who are accessing abortion care face every day, you know, mm. navigate every day. 
And you're um, talking about the right to abortion. So it's legal across the U.S. And the Pacific Northwest is actually pretty progressive in um, our legislation having to do with uh, abortion. But it seems like both of your organizations are here and exist because there's all those nuances for how you actually access. Yeah, I think our region provides a really great example of of having really expansive rights, but still having huge gaps in access. And both of our organizations exist to address those gaps. And it's it's really incredible when you're doing the work on the ground to like really see what kind of gaps of access are in there. There's a multitude of ways that someone might not be able to access um, a provider or yeah, et cetera. And often we gravitate towards work because we have a personal experience or there's some sort of connection um, to why this work meet is so meaningful for you. Um, is there a reason, Margo, that you got into this work? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I left college, or I, during college, I was a reproductive justice and feminist organizer. Um, and when I left that context, I really wanted to still be engaged in local systems of care. Um, and earlier members of Cascades Abortion Support Collective came and visited um, my school and I spoke with some of them and I was really, I was really impressed by their ability to have found this gap and, and found some needs in this community that aren't being met immediately by these larger structures. So um, joining CASC was, was as much about my passion for reproductive justice as it was about finding a collective structure um, outside of these larger systems and outside of the nonprofit industrial complex that, that affords different freedoms yeah, absolutely. Um, Ali or Beth, either of you have um, anything to share about why potentially this is what's drawing you to work? Yeah, um, I actually was a caller for the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. I started, um, I found myself um, unexpectedly pregnant and no longer wanted to be. Um, and so I ended up being put in touch with the Northwest Abortion Access Fund um, who was able to help me better afford my procedure. Um, yeah, so I started as a caller, moved to a volunteer um, in time and, and over time then, you know, moved on to the board. And so it's kind of been full. Yeah, now you're here talking about it. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I know um, I love hearing that you had an experience with NOAF that made you want to be involved. And so that is really exciting to hear the full circle. And, you know, I always believe that we should center the voices of people who have experienced what you're working for. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I do, I remember when I was going to go off to college and I had a conversation with my mom and she told me, if you ever have an abortion, don't tell me. And so I just kind of accepted that and was like, okay, it's not something, you know, she could handle 
But the whole time I thought, who could I tell? Who could I talk to? What would it be like um, if I did need to? And um, so I think one of the reasons why I started volunteering with NWAF back in the day was doing, I was like, I need to at least be there for someone who has questions or who wants to call and you can just say, yep, this is your decision. Here's information I know. Hope you're doing the best you can for you, you know? So it's always, um, it does seem like you're getting involved for um, either personal reasons or you can definitely see the need in your community. Yeah, and it was um, practical support from um, collectives like CAST and abortion funds like the Abortion Access Fund um, that really made a big difference in my experience. Um, I, I could speak to someone who I know wasn't biased and I knew was willing and open to helping me um, without strings attached, um, which really alleviated a lot of the stress I was experiencing at that time. And I want to give um, Allie opportunity. Is there anything you want to share about why you started getting involved in abortion access or reproductive justice? Yeah, sure. Um, I've also had an abortion. I'm always happy to kind of share that um, and to talk more about you know my experience. If, if because sometimes that is what people need to hear is um, mm -hmm. someone else who's gone through it. Um, but that was also over ten years ago now, and I really have like gained a much broader understanding of um, abortion access and reproductive justice during that time. And it's just it's really interesting to kind of like feel that growth. Um, and I have done a lot of um, care work. Um, I did, I was doing a lot of nonprofit work with homeless youth for the last four years. And I will say that um, that sort of, uh, that sort of work what did really leave me really, really exhausted. And I, I felt kind of depleted and unable to show up for people in my personal life and unable to kind of like organize um, and really think about systems and think about material conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and so I actually quit my job last year and also joined CASC in the same year. And I've been really grateful um, to be able to see kind of our systems of care and the way that we and just the way that we show up for each other. I've just been really grateful to see that with a new lens. Um, and be working towards collective liberation and seeing the connections between abortion access and so many other social justice movements that I really care about. Mm. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to pause and let our listeners know you're listening to Amplify Women on X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. All right. In this last year, our uh, city, state, nation has endured a lot of changes and a lot of disruption to what some people say are our everyday life from the pandemic to wildfires, the elections. A lot has been shaken up and I'm sure that has impacted the work that you do in both your organizations. So Beth, um, how has the Northwest Abortion Access Fund been impacted um, with all the changes and going on in this last year? Yeah, so we started off this year already on, um, you know, kind of uneven footing with seeing, you know, Russo v. June Medical Services, you know, starting their oral arguments 
about a year ago on the 4th. And so that was, for those of you who don't know, Russo v. June Medical Services was a court case um, that was to decide whether a Louisiana abortion um, clinics had to shutter in the state um, due to basically they were trying to make it so providers had to have um, admitting privileges, although abortion clinics nationally don't have that requirement. They don't necessarily need that requirement because it is considered like an outpatient treatment and it's incredibly safe. So there's no need. Admitting to privileges to hospitals. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so we ultimately saw that um, struck down. Um, so, you know, that preserved Roe v. Wade for, you know, uh, a little bit longer, you know, not saying that that, you know, that's kind of the base level um, legislation we have as we see all these um, different bans and laws come up all the time, all attempts at kind of chipping away at what's, what's left of Roe v. Wade. So, and what did your, so we have this landmark case, the Supreme Court case, Russo versus June Medical Services. Mm -hmm. um, there was a decision last summer that invalidated this um, Louisiana law. Mm -hmm. What has been the either trickle effect to your work or why has this been really important for people to watch? Sure. So as we've seen, like that was um, anti-abortion uh, advocates, you know, were frustrated by that. They thought that that was something that because they had, had tried that um, in the past with Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstadt um, just in 2016, almost an identical bill, um, but for Texas, um, you know, they, they really keep trying over and over again. So we saw a, a very similar um, attempt when the pandemic started. You saw states like Texas, Arkansas, Ohio, and more um, trying to find reasons to legislate the closure of abortion clinics as non-essential health care, um, which is a little laughable considering it's quite uh, has it's quite essential. It's urgent. There, you know, there's a time restriction so, regarded. To yeah. So you're saying that they were trying to close. Uh, healthcare centers that provide abortion access saying it was a non-essential service during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have seen, it's very lucky because um, I feel like, at least in my personal opinion, it could have got, it felt like it could have gone either way there for a while. And like, I'm glad, um, you know, we were lucky to see those things actively and like one by one overturned. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so the states try to chip away. It's yeah. overturned. And so clinics are open. Yeah. But they keep there trying. Like, there were states like Texas that were able to get away with it for at least, you know, a day or so, a couple of days. And you saw, um, as the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, we saw our calls from out of state people needing to come to clinics in mostly Seattle. Yeah. Um, you see them. Our, our calls, a huge uptick of people needing to travel for their abortion because they were either already a little bit later in their um, in their pregnancy or they had already faced other financial and logistical obstacles that were causing them to um, 
you know, move, be, move later into their pregnancy. Um, so we saw a, a large uptick in funding out of state um, and out of region, I should say, uh, callers to our hotline. We saw quite a few people from Texas for um, the first part of the pandemic, the very beginning. Mm. So when um, it basically becomes a ripple effect. So when clinics in other states close down or access is denied, people still need abortion care. So they're gonna still try to find a place that they can go to. And so you had callers from across the nation calling Northwest Abortion Access Fund to get money, but then also to try to come to clinics in Oregon and Washington. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people, like you said, people are still trying to access their abortion. That need doesn't go away just because their clinics are closed. It just makes it logistically um, more of a nightmare because they have to go farther and farther depending on where they live. It costs more and more to get on a plane or have to stay somewhere overnight. And all of a sudden that's stacking up. And with the... um, with CASC, do you, did you see that impact here on the ground as well with more people needing uh, rides or support for their appointments in the last year? Yeah, um, well, interestingly, we experienced uh, a, a low amount of calls specifically mm. in the summer and in the early fall, which has to indicate to us that you know, not that people aren't getting abortions, but that there's just an, a multitude of different reasons why they wouldn't be able to connect with us. So that definitely inspired a lot of conversation about, you know, who are, who are we, who are we accessible to? Mm-hmm. Um, but then interestingly, it kind of reversed course. And in January of this year, we had the highest number of callers we've ever had. Mm-hmm. So we are there's kind of a cycle to it, right? There's a New yeah. Year's um, sort of folks don't want to have to kind of like all of us will put something off for December and then in right. January it's like take care of business. Exactly. The holidays are always kind of a, a low point for us. But yeah, we were definitely just kind of waiting and watching last year to kind of just see, okay, here's this huge change. How is that going to affect what kind of work we did. And because we were supporting fewer people during the year, we were able to focus a lot of efforts, a lot of our work on um, doing these mutual aid drives, specifically around getting pregnancy tests and emergency contraception out. Mm. Specifically because people were, I mean, everybody's experiencing this economic crisis as well. And so many people are unemployed and emergency contraception and pregnancy tests are expensive. So We've really been focusing a lot of our work on sourcing and partnering with um, community organizations to try to get those resources out, um, to try to ease the burden on people just trying to take care of themselves right now. Yeah, absolutely. And even though um, pregnancy tests and emergency contraception are over the counter, you can get them at your grocery store. I mean, there's a cost to them and you know, folks aren't going out as much. Like, is it safe to go to your grocery store? Is, can you get on the bus to go all the way to the grocery store um, while feeling safe during the pandemic? So it sounds like 
your mutual aid work was really helping to get those items to people where they're at. Yeah, and also, you know, assisting in the informational support about it, because a lot of a lot of people are actually not very aware about the legality and and that we don't have any age restrictions in Oregon to purchase those things over the counter. So at one point we had um, a conversation with a, a large retailer, I'll just say, mm-hmm. that didn't sell it to people under 18, but we were like, um, no, <laughs> we can, mm-hmm. can do that. And we insist that you do. So that was a really positive thing. And so we're, in addition to the actual material resources, we're just trying to increase people's information about abortion options and reproductive health tool options. And do you feel like people that you work with are more receptive to hearing information from your volunteers and collective members um, as peers or um, like, is there just a certain way that you're able to connect with folks that they might not be getting from the medical establishment? For sure. I mean, I definitely think so. I think that, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a lot of people um, reluctant to go to the doctor, um, reluctant to kind of visit any sort of medical establishment. But a lot of that reluctance occurred in um, people from some of the communities that we serve before Mm -hmm. COVID-19. When we think about people who are um, trans and gender non-conforming, and we think about Black and Indigenous folks, uh, when we think about immigrants, um, there are a lot of people who have experienced like historical trauma through the medical system in our country and who kind of very reasonably have a reluctance to trust. Um, and especially with, with around something like reproductive health when we're hearing about its legality in the news and um, there still is just all kinds of murky moral arguments that we're hearing. And so we... Um, we really do try to kind of provide, like you mentioned, some peer support and some answers and some information around um, how people can take care of their own reproductive health, um, because we know that 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 people have been doing that since people could get pregnant, um, and that you know that even includes managing people managing your own abortion, and that's not something that we um, work with directly, but just it's part of kind of this idea that people are able to safely kind of take their reproductive health into their own hands. And um, for people to have bodily autonomy, they do need to have some different options that aren't uh, maybe so traumatic for them. Yeah, and then, um, you know, there's so many things and then there's the stigma of being able to talk about it. So who can you talk about your experiences with that you can trust that maybe have gone through something similar or can offer some sort of perspective um, that's aligned with what you want to hear. It's not like you want to tell everybody um, everything. So, um, yeah. And that's part, um, that's one of the greatest things about our uh, volunteer ride support network too is that all of our folks are trained in some kind of baseline emotional support. And, you know, they're not forcing you to talk about what you just did, but they are there with a really compassionate and kind of understanding, um, just like tone to, to chat 
with you and not make you feel bad. <laughs> so that is something that, you know, we kind of feel good about too, that connects. Yeah. You're not alone, even if you want to be alone and quiet. Yeah, that's totally fine too. And um, Beth, what about the Northwest Abortion Access Fund? Um, anything in this past year that you've really noticed a trend with your callers or um, the advocacy that you've been involved with? Yeah, we've seen um, over, over the course of 2020 a, a higher financial need. Um, we're giving out larger grants than we used to. Mm. Um, we, people, um, a, you know, a large number, like a majority of the people in uh, the U.S. have like either are underemployed or unemployed at this point in time. Um, and so that means for a lot of people that they lost access to their health insurance um, or, you know, what, and or what they might've been able to supplement before by, um, you know, picking up extra shifts at work or whatever it might be, they're no, that's no longer an option for them. So, uh, today on X-Ray FM, it's, uh, Amplify Women for International Women's Day, but we do want to recognize that it's not just women or cisgendered people who have abortion access. Um, is there anything about that, Allie, that you'd want to mention for our listeners to consider? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that using non-gendered language when we talk about people who um, become pregnant and people who um, get abortions is really important to provide um, just like really inclusive environments for people who um, might be trans or gender non-conforming. It also helps to kind of like expand our um, understanding of reproductive health to include everyone because reproductive health absolutely does impact everyone. Um, it's not just a women's issue. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad um, we brought that up. So we hear the phrase reproductive justice used a lot, but I'd love for this group to kind of clarify the difference between reproductive justice, reproductive health, and reproductive rights, so that our listeners can really come away thinking um, how these all work together. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, and those are very those are three very distinct categories in my mind. Um, and the best way I can kind of break those things down are um, like in terms of reproductive health, um, it kind of invokes a more mechanical view of how one makes an appointment. Can one make an appointment? How does one um, get tested for things as they're interacting with the medical system? Um, reproductive rights, on the other hand, has much more to do with um, the interactions one has with the state apparatus. And while we always have the right to abortion and have the right to healthcare, those things are legislated and regulated by governmental bodies. So when we talk about re reproductive rights, we're kind of putting ourselves in conversation with the laws and systems that are regulating some of, the, some of those things. Reproductive justice, on the other hand, um, is a, a, a more amorphous kind of always evolving um, 
perspective about how all of those things fit together. CASC um, in our work operates under the definition that Sister Song, a woman of color reproductive justice collective um, set out um, in 1997. Um, they define reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. And the reason why we love this definition is because it really goes beyond the rhetoric of, you know, a woman's right to choose and invokes reproductive justice as a, as a human right to bodily autonomy, which can mean so many things. I mean, you can even see in that definition that it doesn't even have the word abortion in it at all yeah. because it's so more expansive than that. Um, of course, it does include abortion, but it also acknowledges that people have the right to choose to have children dependent on the context that that child will be born in and raised in. So safe and sustainable communities um, represents a collective imagining in which families aren't separated by the prison industrial complex that largely affects black and immigrant communities. Safe and sustainable communities includes a place where people have access to clean water and aren't situated in food apartheid. And it imagines a world where children can grow up free of violence and free of poverty. Right, so that, that puts abortion within this larger context of all of these social justice issues mm -hmm. that kind of feed into and inform reproductive justice as like an umbrella. And this is why, this is why abortion is, is not exactly, you know, a single issue. Um, there's so many more barriers to abortion than just legality or just funding, which is something that we're, we're exploring here together. Yeah, but it also because, but also because people make decisions about their reproductive health considering the material conditions of their lives. So when we're talking about reproductive yeah. justice, exactly. When we're talking about reproductive justice, we're talking about environmental justice. We're talking about housing justice, disability justice, racial economic justice, justice. gender justice. Just oh. let's throw them out. It's all the yeah. it's all the really big important ones that yeah. you know. Just to name a few, really. And it's really important. Um, when you pointed out uh, that definition was from Sister Song, and really this concept and framework is developed by women of color to um, better express the, the experience of reproductive justice. And so um, organizations that are not led by women of color usually will say we're using a reproductive justice lens or framework really to, to honor um, who really is leading that work. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's critically important for myself as a white organizer to note that there have been decades of work before me by women of color and by marginalized people and by trans people and disabled people who have really informed this work. And I, I'm, I have the privilege and the honor to pick up that work. Absolutely. I remember hearing someone um, talk about that it's the same people who have abortions, who also have um, children and who also um, are your coworker or who also are, um, you know, it's, we don't operate in a vacuum. So uh, abortion could be part of your storyline um, 
for many people. And in fact, it's very common, right? Abortion is one in four. Is it, is it higher now? Um, I'm seeing, I'm getting agreement. One in, one in four um, <laughs> people in the U.S. have had an abortion in their lifetime. So it's also um, starting to recognize that it's a part of our reproductive health story for many people. Yeah, and if I can add one more thing, I, I wanna uplift um, the article that came out just a few days ago by um, Amy Littlefield, I believe is her name. It was an article in The Nation. And not only was it a really powerful um, account of some of these things that are happening in Texas specifically, um, she gave an interview on Democracy Now! a few days ago about that article and made an, a really incredible point that I wanna echo here, which is that you know, abortion is not antithetical to family, that mm -hmm. many people who get abortions have children, want children, um, love children. And so it's a really harmful notion to put those things as opposites of one another. And rather, we have so much more to gain when we put those things in conversation. Absolutely. Margo, you mentioned part of reproductive justice is um, safety in your community and um, safety when it comes to um, interacting with the police could probably be included in that. I know in Portland we had a lot of protests um, for Black Lives Matters and wondering if you'd consider the use of tear gas and the repercussions um, or not of using that in crowds is something under this umbrella term of reproductive justice. Absolutely, I think absolutely it's, it fits within this realm of understanding um, in, a, in a myriad of ways, really. I mean, you know, a, a good part of our summer was collecting anecdotal evidence about um, people's experiences after having been tear gassed um, and some of the like, symptoms they were experiencing in their bodies. Um, we know that tear gas has a really big effect on people's endocrine and reproductive systems. Um, and so people were reporting like missed menstrual cycles or too frequent menstrual cycles, um, even like for people on period stopping birth control, like they would have their period despite being on birth control, as well as abnormal discharge, hot flashes, intense uterus cr uterine cramping, um, symptoms of anemia even. And a lot of these symptoms were actually reported in people who take testosterone. So that is really significant to those people, um, like their interactions with the police response to um, protesting really put into jeopardy people's reproductive health. And, um, and we also know that tear gas has a pretty intense effect on, on people's, people who are already pregnant um, there's an increased risk of miscarriage as a result of being exposed to, to tear gas. And that's, that's really significant. And um, something else that was really on my mind at the time was when those protests were happening on, on North Lombard by the police union building, that's a, that's a black neighborhood and a, and a brown neighborhood and an impoverished neighborhood. And the police response to protests increased the risk of everyone within like a 500 foot radius of the place because that gas was being sprayed in one area and it would travel with the wind 
down the street into somebody who's completely unaffected or completely, um, what's the word, just unconnected to the protests. Mm -hmm. It's affecting people all around. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's still just unbelievable that that can be used. Yeah, so the um, environment, like where they would use it, on whom they would use it. Um, exactly. How much um, do they care who's around? Um, yeah, you see them also using tear gas outside of the ICE detention center um, where there are people inside the building, but also that's right next door to a, a school. And so you see that we've, you know, we're only just now seeing, like learning more about the environmental impact and how, you know, that's seeping into the ground at a playground that's part of a school where children, you know, people expect, you know, their expectation is to be able to have their children receive an education safely, um, you know, not being, you know, children who had were completely uninvolved, unrelated to um, the demonstrations, you know, those children, May, may or may not have any idea that that's even going on. We don't know if that's in their, uh, you know, realm. So, you know, they, they have every right to go to school to do so safely, but we don't, we don't fully know. We know that it has adverse effects, but we don't fully know to what extent. And yeah. that's not fair to those, those kids. Yeah. Well, um, let's, I'd love to go around uh, with you all and just hear maybe What's one thing you would want our listeners to know about uh, your work or um, what should they come away thinking about or considering when it comes to abortion access or uh, reproductive justice? Yeah, for sure. So um, one thing that I think that is important to me to think about, um, and it is also part of checking my privilege in the, the work that I do is acknowledging that um, you know, I do have access to abortion and here in the state of, um, of Oregon, we do have a lot more progressive legislation and, um, you know, Medicaid does cover abortion and it's really different than the climate of kind of the entirety of the United States. But one thing that I want is to not be kind of like ashamed to ask for more, um, out of, our, our service and out of our, out of our services and out of our government, mm -hmm. because we really do um, need to center those that are the most marginalized and making sure that abortion is truly accessible. And also that we are thinking about the ways that people's material conditions and lived experiences of oppression affect the choices that they make um, specifically about um, a family or, and, and just their reproductive health decisions. So basically this idea that like, sure, things in Oregon are different, right? Like in, in a lot of ways, um, abortion is protected in our state constitution. However, it's not perfect. And, um, we can envision just kind of like better. And yeah. there's always, there's always room to be more person-centered in all of our systems. So sounds like that's the good work that you all are doing to make sure people are at the center of these experiences. Um, Beth, do you have anything from uh, the, your experience with the Northwest Abortion Access Fund to leave our listeners with? 
Yeah, I actually couldn't agree with Ali more. Um, we can we can always be pushing for more. Um, you see that you've you've seen that in states or cities, I should say, like New York City and Austin, where they've actually been able to get abortion municipally funded by their city. Um, so there's no no expectation um, from those accessing abortion in those cities to have to pay. The city pays for them. You know that that would be the dream on top of our our state Medicaid, like to have municipally funded abortion for anyone who comes into our state to ask, um, you know, seeking abortion care, like that would be the dream. Um, you see, you know, the, uh, the foundations of that within um, our Medicaid as it allows, um, there's almost no restrictions regardless of uh, citizenship. So um, states like Oregon and Washington are, are are, uh, have the privilege, or at least their 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 residents have the privilege of being able to, if they're not already, sign up for state Medicaid and be able to have their abortion paid for that way. Yeah, like like over fifty percent of our funding that we receive gets funneled into states into Idaho specifically, and also Alaska. Um, although Alaska does have uh, abortion on their state Medicaid, they have a. a quite a few other restrictions that make it more difficult to access, even if it is paid for. Yeah. And how would um, listeners find out more information about the Northwest Abortion Access Fund? Yeah. Um, so our website is a great place. Our Instagram, um, they're the same. It's NWAA fund. So Northwest Abortion Access, but then fund is written out.org or um, it's also our Twitter handle our Instagram, um, or, you know, there's our, our hotline is one eight six six 866 and then the number 10, so NWAAF10. Um, those are all great places to get in contact with us, learn more about what we're doing, um, and like, yeah, and how we work in partnership with CASC. Great, thanks. And Marco, do you have any final thoughts to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I mean, I really just want to echo what what my colleagues have have already said, um, and you know, connecting to the philosophy of our work, it's it's histories of abolitionist thought that allow us to imagine new worlds and imagine together what our collective reality could look like, and that is what's central to our work as abortion support. Um, workers and advocates for reproductive justice and you know just get some friends together and talk about what do you want from this world and what do you want to see and and how do we move together towards those goals Mm. yeah I love the idea of getting friends together even if it has to be virtual or on the phone right get your friends together but don't not in person (laughs) Yeah. Um, and how would listeners find out more about CASC? Yeah, so our website is uh, cascadesabortionsupport.org. Um, and our Instagram handle is where we post most frequently. It's also cascadesabortionsupport. Um, that's our handle. You can, um, our hotline is 503 0692. And that's a warm line. So you'll get a voicemail, but we're always on the other end of it, ready to uh, 
support you through an abortion, so. Well, thank you three for joining us this hour to talk about the good work that you do and maybe have us reflect a little bit about how abortion access, you know, it can be politicized into this single issue um, talking point, but it really is a holistic um, experience and it's connected with a lot of other um, systems of oppression that we need to look at together. So appreciate your time and thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having Thank us. you. You've been listening to a conversation with me, Hannah, and my guests, Beth, Allie, and Margot, talking about abortion access and reproductive justice. This conversation was a part of Amplify Women on X-Ray FM, a celebration of International Women's Day. As always, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. <laughs>